Well, it's time for the sermon. Are you ready? Uh, when we do these outdoor services, I've been having the real pleasure of co-preaching with our next-gen kids minister, Amy Christman. And I get to do that again today. So let's give it up for Amy as she's going to launch us to get us started on our sermon this morning. Thanks, Amy. Hey, everybody. So we are in the book of Romans, which Rob started last week. And if you were here last week, Rob talked about some bad news. Uh, For Paul brings his letter to the Romans. He starts it by unpacking the wrath of God. You know, some bad news, some hard stuff. But then he got into the good news of how by faith, not by works, but by faith, we are saved. And today we get to start with and really stick with the good news of what God gives to us through faith. So remember, gospel literally means good news. So when we talk about sharing the gospel, we mean sharing the good news of Jesus with people. And I think that the verse we have before us today is one of the Bible verses that probably best sums up the entire Bible into one verse, which is no easy feat. But Romans 5.8 does a pretty darn good job. It says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is good news. And we could end the, you know, end the sermon now, but we're not going to because there's some exciting things that happen. I'm going to expand it just a little bit, verses 6 through 8. You see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's more incredibly good news leading up to this point. In verse 8, Paul describes some things that we have and do because Christ died for us in love. So let's unpack those. That's right. We're going to move through some of the verses that lead up to this main verse that Amy has shared with us. Starting in chapter 4, verse 25, it says that he, speaking of Jesus, was delivered over to death For our sins. Someone say our sins. And was raised to life for our justification. Someone say our justification. That's a big word on a Sunday morning, right? Justification, isn't it? I love what it says here. Our sins and our justification. That tells me something that we touched on last week. We matter a great deal to God. He's paying attention to us. It's our sin that matters to him. Our sins stand in the way between us and God, and that kind of separation always equals death. Now, i got to admit, when most people hear the preacher talk about God and our sins, they think of beating people up with that, or with guilt and with shame. But hear me this morning. When God sees our sins, He does not see a club to bully us with, but a problem to solve, a wall to tear down, a a gap that needs bridged. Amen? And so our sins matter to God because they keep us from Him. And He finds that unacceptable. So Christ died for us. It says here he has justified us. That means he's made us right with God. Isn't that good news? Now that word justified, sometimes we'll say uh, to try to remember what it means, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never 
sin, because before him we are forgiven. And that's a pretty good way to remember it, but it's more than that too. We also recognize that the cross and the empty tomb happened precisely to make that possible. And that is no small thing. Our sin is gone, which is reason to rejoice. But it's not because our sin was insignificant. No, it had the power to separate us from God. What's great is that that sin has been erased at great effort and huge cost with tremendous power. He was delivered over to death for our sins, was raised to life for our justification. And so now what, according to this passage, is the result of this? The result is peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the NIRV version puts it like this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith. Like Rob just pointed out, justified is being made right with God. It means that our label of sinners, that's the bad news from Romans 1-4, through 4, has been changed to children of God. Mm. We've been made right with God, and having peace with God reinforces that truth of justification. Now pay attention here to the fact Paul doesn't write that we have peace, period. He writes we have peace with God. Mm -hmm. You see, we often associate peace with a feeling of tranquility, that nice breeze, like from Philippians 4-7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds to Christ Jesus. But notice there it says the peace of God which is great for sure. But here in Romans, Paul writes that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. In other words, reconciliation. When we still bear our label of sinner, we are at odds with God since God is holy and can't tolerate that sin. But when through faith our label is changed to child of God, our relationship is restored to what he intended it to be upon creation. Now, I think you're going to know that feeling you get when someone, likely a spouse or a brother or sister, maybe annoys you by finishing your favorite ice cream from the freezer. So when you go to get some, it's all gone. Or (laughs) they change a song that you were in the middle of jamming to, and it creates tension. Or maybe, on the other hand, you realize there's a little tension in the relationship but you didn't do any, they didn't do anything to annoy you, so you realize you must have done something to annoy them, but you're not quite sure what you did. There is tension. You are at odds in your relationship. There's a disconnect. So you carry on with life, and something just feels unsettled. But eventually, that truth tends to come out after hours, days, months, I don't know, um, and you're able to reconcile and restore your relationship. And so in a similar manner, but on a much deeper level, until we have peace with God, there will always be a disconnect deep in our souls. And the famous theologian Augustine from the fourth century wrote, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Because of how God created us to be in relationship with him, we're only able to experience the peace of God that settled tranquility and rest once we are justified through faith and have peace with God. But the blessings don't stop there. That's exactly right. The verse goes on to say this, through whom, speaking of Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So as Amy has spoken to us about peace. Now we begin to also turn to this idea 
of grace. Christ has brought us undeserved acceptance and love from God, which we now enjoy by faith. Think of it like this. Grace is a room. It's a, it's a space. This language that Paul is using, we've gained access to it. He has opened a door to it. Not by our own effort. We now get to just freely walk in to this room or this space of grace. It's a nourishing environment in which we now get to stand. We are made right with God. That's justification. We have peace with God on the inside of our soul now. There is no more war between us and God. And now we stand in a place in which grace surrounds us. That idea of standing speaks to something called assurance. It's the idea that grace is not a revolving door. That the, that the door that Jesus has made for us to walk into so we can enjoy life with God is not one in which you may suddenly find yourself back on the outside without even knowing it, right? Stuck in a revolving door of, am I forgiven? Am I not? God is not up in heaven playing, he loves me, he loves me not. I love them, I love them not, right? That's not what he's doing. His love for us is solid and sure, and so you and I can live our lives before God openly and honestly, nothing hidden. We can take our trials and our troubles, we can take our shortcomings and yes, our sins to God because we stand in a place called grace. Now, that word stand is used throughout the New Testament, it speaks to a firm and established and steadfast posture. We stand in that. Grace is not a tightrope walk, but a broad and solid rock. Amen? A solid place, a sacred space in which each of us can live with confidence in God and His love for us. So peace, it sounds awesome. Grace, even more awesome. This is great so far, but wait, as they say, there's more. There is, though I have to be honest and sit first and say, I just got a little distracted. I don't know if anybody else did when they saw the Kona ice truck pull in over uh -oh. there. Uh-oh. Um, we will get to that later. Stick with us. It'll taste <laughs> really good after a few more minutes of sitting in the sun. But we're in Romans 2, 5-2 right now. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hope confident expectation of what is to come. So this hope isn't a gentle optimism that we use when we might say, I sure hope my favorite driver wins the Indy 500. Not that I've ever said that because I'm still learning about Indiana and the Indy 500. I'll get there. Or I hope mom buys popsicles at the store today. Those are just desires we wish for and are easily and often disappointed when they don't come true. But when we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, we will not be disappointed because there is a confident hope of what is to come based on God's already proven love for us, which we see evidenced of all throughout history. So are you living like you confidently expect God's promises to be fulfilled? We know that Jesus came to earth and died for our sins. That promise has been fulfilled and he will come back. He's made that promise, and we must confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory at that time. That's right. 
We can hope. God is full of hope. God gives us reason to hope. There's so far, Amy, there's all kinds of good stuff we've been talking about. For I sure. mean, justification and peace and grace and, and now hope. But check out what happens next. In verse three, Paul says this not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, where'd that come from, right? I mean, uh, I liked where we were going so far, but why are we talking about sufferings as if they're a good thing? Because he says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, what is going on with that? Don't I pray to avoid suffering? Don't I pray that I'll be relieved of suffering, right? I don't know. Maybe not so much. Maybe that's not the point, it seems as I read the scriptures that Christians, more than the stoic philosopher who saw suffering as something to endure simply for the sake of self-discipline, more than the Jewish rabbi who saw it as God's rebuke, more than the Roman soldier who faced it only for the glory of the empire, we as Christians over the ages have understood something more about suffering, the real value and purpose of it when it comes into our lives because Christians know about the cross and our suffering Savior. Amen. For us, trials and afflictions contain a deep treasure of meaning and potential because we have seen what can be brought from such suffering. Jesus teaches that on the cross. And so we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We know that they will develop in us endurance, strength of character, and hope of salvation. Now, we needn't seek out suffering, right? You with me on that? I was told this morning, uh, Randy Julian, our director of operations, he got here good and early to check everything out. The stage was pretty wet from the night before, so he was kind of cleaning that off, squeegeeing that off, and he realized that underneath the stage overnight, a couple of animals had made a home. Skunks. I know, right? And so at that moment, as he's up here kind of stirring them, waking them up, and then they begin to emerge, he said they were pointed and ready to shoot at one point. We would have been up here, Amy, with some serious, yeah, I don't know what you'd call that, but it wouldn't be good, right? And uh, fortunately, God just led those beautiful creatures someplace else, and they just, they just left us alone, right? That was, so we don't, we don't seek out suffering, right? We don't hope the skunk will do its thing on us, but sometimes suffering makes its way into our lives. Can I get an amen? amen. It certainly does, and we need not fear it. However, what Paul is describing here doesn't always, the suffering that we see in our lives doesn't always or automatically produce these qualities of perseverance and character that he's talking about. It's only if and when the preceding lines about faith in Christ have been made true to us. Trials can break us totally down. Or in Christ, they can break us open, right? They can break us open to his spirit, to his hope, to his love. So, this room we're talking about, this space of grace, even when that room begins to feel like a boxing ring and the trials of life take their punches at us, we can find that they just make us stronger because peace fills us and grace holds us and hope sustains us. And hope, like Romans 
Paul writes in Romans 5, does not put us to shame. In other words, we will not be disappointed because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As if Paul hasn't already talked about enough amazing blessings that we've mentioned that we receive through faith, one cannot forget the Holy Spirit who dwells in the hearts of each believer. Thinking about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this is a great time to point out the plural language Paul uses throughout this passage. It's filled with we and us. We have been justified. We have peace. We have gained access to grace. We glory in our sufferings. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. This is not a you or me thing. Christ didn't die for one human or the other, but Christ died for all for we. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and speaking of we, and that's a beautiful transition there, to just take a quick second to, to illustrate how we really are all in this together. I want to tell you a quick story about some outlookers from a, a long time ago. Humankind needs to hear this message of Jesus, and we have outlookers all over the world, uh, ministry partners that we're happy to, to partner with, but I want to talk about two who actually started out as outlookers before they became missionaries. These outlookers are named Jim and Karenita Wolsifer. They live in Italy, uh, and I'm told they tune in nearly every Sunday online, so they might be watching right now, or at least they're watching this after the fact, so everyone say hey to Jim and Karenita. That's right. Jim and Karenita Wolsifer are celebrating 50 years of spreading this good news. They, that's right, they are originally from Indianapolis. Jim attended Oakland Christian Church. That was us before we changed our name to Outlook. They met at Camp Allendale when they were 12 and 11 years old. Isn't that awesome? They are both graduates of Johnson Bible College they founded Italy for Christ Mission in 1971. Karenita is one of a small number of Christian family counselors in Italy. That's one of their primary ministries. Jim headed up and founded a radio station for many of their years in Italy. They are still there. They are still doing good work. They are people of hope. Hope, as this passage puts it, has not put them to shame. And so we've uh, we're going to be shipping to them this commemorative plaque that just commemorates and thanks them for their 50 years. It says, Outlook Christian Church thanks our Lord Jesus Christ for Jim and Karenita Wolsifer and their 50 years of service to his mission, 1971 to 2021. We love you and are honored to partner with you. And so uh, let's just record for the sake of their getting to see it and hear it, a very loud and enthusiastic Congratulations. Let's, that's right. Put our hands together. Jim and Karenita, we love you and we're thankful for you. You're in a great example of hope and perseverance for all of us. Amen to that. Amen. So as we come to a close, we find ourselves in Romans back where we started in verses six through eight. And Paul points out that most, if not all of us, would be hesitant to die for someone else, even if that someone else was an especially good and righteous person. But Jesus, the best and most righteous of all, 
readily and willingly died for us, the not so good and hardly righteous. Now, I know we said we're only talking about the good news today, but I have to point out here that Paul refers to us as four increasingly uncomplimentary terms. He says we're helpless, which is true. On our own, we cannot follow the law and be justified only through faith in Jesus. Is that possible? Paul says we are ungodly and sinners, which unfortunately is also true. And then to top it off, Paul says in verse 10, we are God's enemies. So just to sum it up lightly, people are helpless to save themselves, ungodly or neglectful of God, wicked, aka sinners, and they actively set themselves against God and his purposes as God's enemies. Not great, but the still true and good news is Christ still died for us. It's like the best friend who knows all your dirty laundry and annoying little habits, but they still love you and want to be your friend. And on so much more, despite all the barriers that we put up, God demonstrates how very deeply he loves us by reconciling us to himself through the death of Jesus, our Lord. So once we learn that truth and have that faith, we then must demonstrate that love to others so they too may be justified through faith and have a right relationship with God. So that love that God demonstrated to you by sending Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner, how will you demonstrate that love to others? Mm, That is a powerful question. Let's pray about that. Father, we ask that you would help us to internalize your truth today that we just heard from your word. Lord, that Amy's question, how will we demonstrate to others what you've so beautifully demonstrated to us, an unconditional love, an acceptance, uh, a sense that uh, a, a separation between us and you is intolerable to you. That's how much you love us. How can we spread that message to others, Lord? Show us, each of us, in our own circles of influence, how we can be good news and a breath of fresh air wherever we go. We pray all this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.